0: And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox.
1: Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, striving each and every day to put you on the path to financial independence through investing in real estate. And oh my gosh, ladies and gentlemen, it is now less than one month until the big National Real Estate Summit here in Cincinnati, sponsored by Orea with... 15 top-level experts, over 750 fellow real estate entrepreneurs from all over the country with whom you can just network your heart out, as well as uh, 40 vendors and service providers, tons of networking opportunities, just a great opportunity to Build your team, build your knowledge, level up your entire business. And as I was checking, as I came in to the station this afternoon and discovered that we still have two of the discounted seats left, two seats left at the National Real Estate Strategy Summit at the discounted price that we were offering it for during fund drive a couple of weeks ago. And I'd really like to see those gone for two reasons. One, because you guys need to come to this. It's the biggest, it's the biggest event in the country for the primary reason that it is the best event in the country and run by a nonprofit organization. All that organization's profits go right back into fighting for the rights of real estate investors and landlords It's fun. It's a bunch of excited, exciting, friendly people. So that's reason number one. You need to come. That's why I'd like to see you there. But reason number two is when you make your pledge to WMKV for these tickets at $157, I think think that's the amount, it goes to support public radio. So, I mean, you can buy tickets other ways, but you can't buy them in another way that would support public radio. So... How do you get one of these discounted tickets? You either go online at wmkvfm.org, wmkvfm.org, or you can call 877-772-9658, and somebody will grab your credit card number and make sure that you get your seats. It's uh, I, I can't imagine why you would be sitting there saying to yourself, I'm very serious about real estate investing, and at the same time, I'm not going to go to the biggest industry event in the country. Those, I don't know. Those two things just don't just don't mesh for me. Cincinnati, November 9th through 12th, National Real Estate Strategy Summit, sponsored by OREA, eight seven 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 two nine six five eight 772 9658 or wmkvfm.org to grab a ticket. Uh, one of the great things about this time of year is that because I have all of these folks that I know are coming to Cincinnati for the event because they were chosen to be one of the expert speakers, I I get the chance to interview a lot of them. And um, no exception, today uh, we've got Jim Adelot, who specializes in lease option strategies, and has a lot of unusual stuff going on in terms of sort of how he operates his business versus how you might think people operate their businesses. For one thing, he works in rural Michigan. Most most folks, uh, when they think about successful real estate entrepreneurs, they're thinking they work in like big cities over, you know, over a million, that sort of thing. Not Jim. He's got a business in rural Michigan. He's got a multi-million dollar portfolio and he is part-time in the business because his full-time job is pastor. He's a full-time pastor, part-time real estate investor. He retired after 22 years in the corporate world as a magnetics engineer and um, went to, to do the thing that was his calling and I imagine probably discovered that pastoring does not pay super well. So now not only is he operating his own business on three to five hours a week with a six-figure income, he's also helping other people learn how to do the same thing. He is joining us from his home in Michigan. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, Jim.
2: Hey, Vina, Great to be with you, and uh, thanks for having me.
1: Uh, And I'm glad to have you here. This is actually your first visit to Real Life Real Estate. Um, You know, we've been on the air for a little over 20 years now. So many times uh, folks are hearing voices for the second or third time as we bring people back to talk about what's changed about their business. I know folks have, however, heard your, uh, your partner and mentor, Wendy Patton on the air, uh, several different times. And I know that you're doing some teaching for her, uh, at, at this point in your life, but can you, can you just sort of, um, in the first few minutes of the show here, share, with us what what it was exactly that kind of attracted you to the real estate business?
2: Well, it's a great question. Um, I can tell you that for 22 years, I was always trying to be the best I could be as an engineer in the corporate world and then being a corporate engineer. And because of the nature of that business and the particular line of work that I was in, Uh, I kind of just got sick and tired of of climbing the corporate ladder only to find out it was against the the wrong wall. Um, Every time I thought, you know, that I had arrived with whatever company it was, they were either being sold or planning on being sold or moved. And um, it was just getting really, really weary. Um, It wasn't the kind of of, uh, uh, lifestyle that I liked. I didn't want to be tied up 50, 60 hours a week or traveling half the half of my life and working for somebody else. And after 22 years, um, it, it, it merged with the call to ministry. And then that call to ministry, which was actually 11 and a half years ago, that call to ministry then led um, me to pursue some method, some vehicle that would allow me to produce income and not take a lot of time to do it, and that was kind of the, the, the things that came together for me. I was driving home from work one day. It was before the call to ministry, and I heard somebody come on the radio, and probably not much different than you know some other people that are in the business today. And uh, the the voice said, that "I'm going to be in this, you know, in, in your town uh, on this date, and it's free, and you can come." And and I went, and I did that, mm. and my wife and I spent the weekend. Uh going to that, and we i mean we both walked out of there, and we said, if half of what we're being told is true, we've got to really investigate this. So we took time, and over the course with my engineering brain, of course, it took me about three and a half years before I did anything. <laughs> I didn't take any action. I was still studying everything because it was a whole new language for me. I could build a house from the ground up, but I knew nothing about real estate, and so that kind of then when I had begun studying real estate investing and multiple ways of, of doing real estate investing, then a few years after that, the call to ministry came. And uh, and that income reduction caused me to, to get a little more serious about the real estate investment business.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a fairly standard um, story, except for the part where you heard about a seminar and you actually went to it. I can't tell you how many people we've been reaching out to around here lately. We've got a, a series of of uh, market updates that that are being sponsored by local groups here, and they they, they cost nothing. Huh. And trying to talk people into coming, as people who've already said I'm interested in real estate, into coming to something that's free is surprisingly hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost yeah. it's almost like there, there's like this cynicism, like you know, how good could it be if it were free, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, Exactly. A, a, an awful lot of stories start just like yours. I mean, that's that's basically the same story we're on the told, right? I I saw something on TV yeah. that invited me to a free preview to a thing, and I went, and yeah. the rest is history. Exactly right. So, exactly right. um, in in the minute or so we have before our first break, can you can you talk about your local market? Because I'm I'm kind of fascinated with the fact that you do live in in what is considered to be one of the more depressed areas in the whole United States. And you live out in the middle of nowhere (laughs) in (laughs) that area, and you're still making this work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I live actually in my county. There's less than 16,500 single-family homes, um, and virtually all of my business is in that county, very few exceptions. So we are doing between two and three houses a month, doing lease options with those properties, and um and what you said about working a couple hours a week is is exactly what I do, and so we do those uh, uh, deals right here locally, and it's not a big market, but there's certainly enough deals and I don't even get every deal, but there's enough deals even in my county to be able to do so that's kind of the pie that I've carved out here and i've I've worked that for. You know, for a number of years, a little over nine and a half, ten years now, and it's it's become very lucrative, even out here in the cornfields, as uh, Wendy teases me about.
1: <laughs> yeah, another another you know example of some folks have limiting thoughts about things like my area is too big, right, too too, too competitive, too everything's too spread out. My big city, LA, too cutthroat, or my area is too small. There's not enough deals. There's not enough buyers. There's not enough sellers, and yet there's there are folks who just kind of don't have that thought, and <laughs> they they make it work anyway. And you, yeah, I guess I was deep enough to do that. <laughs> you just you, you didn't know you weren't supposed to be able to. That was your problem. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Jim's pretty property strategy because that is uh, that's what he works with not the not the ugly houses, but the pretty ones. If you have ever had any question about how making money in pretty houses works, this is the day to ask it. Uh, don't wait for me to, to come up with your question because what, what you want to know and what I'm curious about might be two different things. And it's your show, not mine. So give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host Vina Jones Cox. My guest today is Jim Adelat, who is a, a very part-time real estate investor uh, up in Michigan, who makes a full-time income doing the, doing the real estate investing so that he can support his pastoring habit. Um, because, from my from my understanding, um, pastors are often. Uh, asked to sacrifice their financial (laughs) independence as well as their time. So it's always good to have uh, another way of dealing with things. And that's how he has done this is by uh, creating a business that works primarily in pretty properties. Now, Jim, over the years here, we have talked about pretty houses from about dozen perspectives, you know, um, buy them subject to and assign the subject to, buy them subject to and sell them lease option, buy them on land contract, sell them on land contract. I mean, everybody's got their kind of favorite way of doing things, and we're going to talk about your favorite way of doing things uh, a little bit later. But let's just help listeners get their brains around. Number one, what we're going to talk about, what we're talking about when we're talking about pretty properties. Like, like what, what am I describing when I say a pretty property?
2: Well, for me, uh, pretty property is probably much like a lot of people's areas. Um, my limitations are, are basically twofold. My limitation is the FHA lending limit, properties in my area, and that's a pretty standard number for a lot of areas that are outside of major metropolitan areas, that tends to be right around a $275,000, $277,000 right in there, maximum. Mm -hmm. Now, that's going to be important for us to keep that number in mind. My median sales price is my other factor. For me, my median sales price in our county as a whole is right around $90,000, so what I do is I operate uh, below the 275 figure because most all of my tenant buyers are going to need some kind of FHA financing. They need some kind of you know, government-backed mortgage. So we know that, they, that we want to stay below that limit. At the same time, I don't like to, like to operate much below my median sales price because then all I do is I get people with just renter mentality, and I'm not looking for renters. I'm looking for people that want to own, not to rent. So I narrow that scope down to that limit. But then, what because of experience, I've narrowed that down even a little bit more. I love houses that are between that 125 and 185 roughly uh, price range. That is my sweet spot. These are typically, these are typically not all first time home buyers. Some of them are, but these could also be people moving up from first time homes to second time homes. So I try to limit myself based on that data and I'm focusing on first and second time home homes in neighborhoods that are that are nice, that mm-hmm. are pretty, that are very you know, rural, typical, you know, middle middle America kind of town. You know, small town kind of look. And many of them are three or four bedroom properties. They usually all have at least one and a half baths. Some of them have finished basements. In Michigan, we have a lot of walkout basements. So a lot of those are finished walkout basements. And those properties are very, very typical up here. Um, by and large, those are my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are what I target. And that's the market that I kind of I kind of focus on and that does not mean that I would not do a lease option on something that's eighty five thousand dollars I would I may not hold on to it for a long time I might flip it on a what we call a cooperative lease option or wholesale the option and then I do properties that are in the 250 range I just know that that's going to take a little bit longer to move and I have some very specific marketing that I do to move those properties that is different from what we do for the rest of the type of properties that we do.
1: Okay. So if I'm in Cincinnati where the median house price is closer to like 130. Mm-hmm. It's not that I it's not that I don't do what you do, it's that I move my numbers.
2: You might want to shift your window a little bit and you still have to look in, based on the zip code what the FHA loan limitation is because that could vary where you're at in some of the neighborhoods around Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So the thing that you have to remember, though, is this strategy is primarily effective for first and second home buyer neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's when you're going to move properties. And literally, I've got students that are moving properties. They just get started. And in three weeks, they've got a paycheck of five or 10 grand. And because that's what they're focusing on.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so single family homes, um, kind of, I, I would call what you're describing like a Bread and butter to low low end move up neighborhood um, houses that people actually want to live in. So three bedrooms, four bedrooms, bath and a half. Um, don't run out and try and buy a one bedroom house with no garage and no off street parking because there's just not the demand <laughs> for that on the back end. And and then the 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 big thing that I think um, folks who are not familiar with these pretty property strategies have a difficult time with is the idea of how you make a profit from that. Because, you know, most people start out with something like wholesaling or rehabbing, where the key to the profit is buying at a deeply under market price. And I gather that you don't really buy at deeply under market prices.
2: Uh, Only when I pay cash. That's the only time I do that. Um, By and large, these, there's two ways that I profit. And One would be if I'm just wholesaling the option or doing a cooperative lease option. I'm going to offer the seller full asking price, and I'm going to get my cut over and above that. And we're going to move that option, move, you know, flip that option to a tenant buyer, and I get a paid an assignment fee. So that's the real easy method in which that we do lease options. A little more technical way would be what we call the sandwich lease option, and it typically is going to require that I have to get some kind of equity to stay in the deal. There has to be something for me to keep uh, the, the the my interest in the property for a longer period of time. For example, say there's a $150,000 property, beautiful three-bed, two-bath home, doesn't need any work, seller ha- is being transferred out of town, and maybe they ended up buying it two years ago, and they they only have $10,000 in equity or $15,000 max. They know if they put that on the market, they may be only walking away from the closing table with a few bucks in their pocket. I have a solution where I can actually help them make a little bit more than that, certainly more than that, by allowing me to put that property under contract for a period of time, and then I will go ahead and make the payments take care of the maintenance and the repairs, and put a near-qualified tenant buyer in it, typically no more than 18 months. We don't like to go more than 18. We'll go 24 months, but we like the more near-qualified tenant buyers. So if I've got that $150,000 property and I put it under contract for, let's say, 140, i have got a $10,000 profit right there, I can typically mark that property up Maybe to 155, maybe 157.9, or something like that. I could increase my profit on the backside because down the road that tenant buyer is going to get financed, and the appraisal will take place at a later date. We don't know what the appraisal will be, but we're we're going to go ahead and shoot for a higher number. So I've got let's say a 18 20,000, maybe 25,000 dollar equity spread. And if I'm making my seller's payment of $1,000 a month, and I can move that property for, say, $1,300 a month to the tenant-buyer, which would be a fair market rental analysis, I'm going to profit also $300 a month in what we call the monthly spread. Mm -hmm. And that's basically how we do those deals.
1: So while the spread in ugly properties that you are flipping... Is that th- there's the the spread, the spread, uh, all real estate uh, investing uh, of the type that, that, that us active people do, <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to like the turn people, uh, the turnkey rental buyers do all, mm-hmm. all of the profits are based on spreads. And in, in ugly houses, the spread is typically, I paid a lot less for it than what it was worth in pretty houses it sounds like the spread is possibly in the monthly payment depending on which kind of deal you're doing but that the the real spread is created by time passing mm-hmm. that you know today the house is worth 150 <laughs> and and yeah i you know 10000 i got a 10000 under market that's that's hard i mean that's that's not even a realtor's commission on that property Right. You know that's that's that that's less than the one forty is less than the guy would walk away from if he sold it on the open market for cash mm-hmm. he'd walk away with one thirty five <laughs> you know it is it's it's one forty one forty is the big difference between one forty and one fifty is out in the retail market, not actually equity but not only not only did you get it at ten thousand under market but you are depending on the fact and right now in the market right now it is a fact that in 18 months the house isn't going to be worth 150 anymore. It's going to be worth you you gave the example of 155 and here in my market pretty good better to be worth 160 if you let 18 months pass. Mm-hmm. So the spread is one that is created by the fact that this is a longer term contract than the typical let me buy it for cash.
2: Exactly. Exactly right.
1: Very good. Uh, We need to, believe it or not, take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what impels sellers (laughs) to do these deals and what kind of buyers like them. If you have questions about pretty properties, please give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send us an email, askvina at gmail.com welcome back to real life real estate investing talking today to jim Eidelot a about um sort of right now just philosophically what is this pretty property business all about because uh there are there are different ways to do it you know people people use different um different strategies to control and different strategies to dispose of these pretty properties but they're they're all based on the same concept which is that your buyer is not another investor your buyer is someone who's going to move into the property love it live in it eventually buy it and that that buyer is not as price sensitive as you might think given that he's got in jim's case 18 months in some cases two years three years to go buy the property in other words either refinance it depending on what the structure is or in the case of a lease option finance it in the first place and of course Jim uh, we got an email here from Seth who asked a question that I should have asked but completely forgot about and that is he wants to know how much of an option fee you are collecting as a percentage of the sale price of the property. Oh,
2: That's a good question Seth. Uh, typically we will not uh, allow a tenant buyer into one of our properties for anything less than 5% or $5,000, whichever is greater. So an $80,000 house, 5% or 5 grand, the greater would be 5 grand. We don't want to take anything less than that. On a $250,000 house, we're going to typically get between twelve five and you know, many times upwards of $20,000 or so. So we're getting that as a minimum. For a couple of reasons, one is we want to make sure they have skin in the game, and that locks them in and gives us the better um, percentage or chance that they're going to work towards getting financed, which I think we'll talk about later. And then secondly, um, it it gives them the ability to show that they've put more than 3.5% down so they don't have to come up with another down payment to get FHA finance, because we have a paper trail that shows that for their down payment. So when the tenant buyer is getting ready to get financed and it's an FHA-backed kind of loan, then what we're doing is we're showing that they've put at least 3.5% down and they're good to go.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The thing that a lot of budding real estate entrepreneurs <laughs> do when they start thinking about sellers, when they start thinking about who is the person who's going to do whatever deal they're examining. They try to, they they try to, they try to imagine themselves, right? They try to, they try to, they try to say to themselves, under what circumstances would I sell a property for 70 cents on the dollar? I can't imagine such a circumstance. I would have to be, Stoned before I would agree to you know they, they 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 without being in the situation that a seller is in they try to imagine the motivations of a seller and with these pretty properties where what you're saying is I'm not going to pay cash for your house Mr. Seller I'm going to make your payments and then ultimately sometime you know in in your case in the relatively near future uh, we'll get it closed I think a lot of People who'd like to do what you do sit there and think, but I would never, I can't imagine under what circumstances I would just let somebody like not buy my house. So let's talk about what kinds of sellers or uh, rather it's always not the seller, right? It's always the situation. What kind of situations are keeping these sellers of yours from just sticking their house in the MLS and selling it? It's a hot market.
2: That's a great question. Um, it's a hot market for some. I won't say that it's a hot market for everybody. Properties here and in rural settings not different from mine. The properties are sitting on the market typically 90, maybe 120 days. So it's not that we have a hot market. Um, depending on where you live, you might be able to put a, a property like that up for sale and have it gone in you know, five days with multiple offers over and above listing price. We don't have that. Um, I've never experienced that here. Um, uh, I can drive 45 minutes away, and the market is completely different. So one of the things that you have to be very, very sensitive to is what kind of microeconomy or micro um, geographic uh, aspects are driving the kind of sales that are taking place where you're looking to do business. So that's going to fluctuate for people. I have students that are doing this in markets that are appreciating double digits a year, and I've got I've got students in L.A. I've got students in Orange County that are doing deals, and they're wholesaling options and they're making thirty, forty, fifty grand on one deal. Um, same thing in Orlando, Florida. You know, a student down there, very first deal, and that's thirty-nine thousand dollars in about forty-five days. It, it is not necessarily – here's the here's the thing, and I think, Vina, you nailed it, because when I started, I said to myself, who in the world would do this? What kind of seller – the exact same thing I said to myself. My wife and I would sit there and say to each other, who, why would people do this? Well, what we don't realize is that it's the situation that drives their motives. It could be – maybe they got married and have two homes. Maybe somebody passed away. Maybe somebody – uh, has a job transfer. Uh, it could be a whole list of things. What sets them apart from everybody else is in the process of marketing, if you are able to speak with them about what you can provide them with your service, many times they're going to do business with you if they don't need that cash right away. And I have I have people say, yeah, but they've got to go out and they've got to show that that house is sold to go buy another house. No, not necessarily. We've got we've got we've got sellers that have come to me and said, "Well, what happens when I need to get another property and I, I, I don't have this one sold. Well, this is going to show as income to you. Your big banks are going to require a 12 month seasoning for the quote unquote, rental in your portfolio, but most local credit unions, most independent mortgage lenders and mortgage brokers, these people think outside the box. I've got sellers that are getting financed the following months after me taking over their property. So it really is a perspective. We have to change how we think, because if we do, if we think like, if we start having conceptions that everybody other, everybody else thinks this way, then what we'll find is we're in a rut. We'll never we'll never be able to look outside the box. We can't think outside the box in order to be creative and do things. Mm-hmm. I had the same issue. I couldn't believe anybody would do this until I started asking people.
1: So I, I think I just heard you say that it, it, your your market's going to be different than a lot of um, larger markets. You know, in Cincinnati, the house you're describing, if it looks good and smells good, it's going to sell for, for it's going to sell for first full price, and it's going that's going to happen in you know three days, especially down at that lower end, <laughs> down at that hundred and thirty to hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollar end your market and I have heard actually the same thing about markets in the rural parts of Ohio that things just that just move more slowly there but you're saying for for your students that are in hot markets like you mentioned Atlanta that or I uh, sorry Orlando that is a that is a market that is moving fast right now you're saying that somehow the the offer of I will make your payments for a while and then pay it off is is better for folks than just putting it on the market and getting my money. I mean, like, what what are you what are you telling them about how it's better?
2: Um, well, there's a couple of things. I can show them how they can make more if they wait a little while for their equity. So I, I, that's the real big stick. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna dangle something out in front of anybody, it is the fact that they're going to be able to net a lot more money doing a lease option than they would if they put it on the market and sold it. At, you know, at, at, uh, and paid commissions. So if they can wait a little while for their equity, I'm going to show them how they can make a whole lot more. And that's the big, that's the big carrot on the stick. Hmm. Um, that's number one. Uh, secondly, if they are willing to wait for, for a little while to get their full, you know, equity or cash out of the property, um, I'm going to also let them know that it's certainly in a co-op, in a sandwich lease option, um, They don't have to worry about anything. They don't have to worry about maintenance. They don't have to worry about repairs. They don't have to worry about the payments. That will all be taken care of. We'll set up structures for that. And they can, I love to tell sellers, I can help you move on with your life really quickly. And that works very well. Now, in those hotter markets, what we're finding and what our students are finding and what I've experienced, too, in, in working and partnering with students here and there, is that in those hotter markets, your tenant your tenant buyers um, are going to get financed a whole lot quicker uh, if you're vetting them properly, and that's what you always want to do. So you're going to be able to get these sellers cashed out in a in a faster sense of time than it would be maybe somewhere else. Mm-hmm. The whole thing comes down to. What is driving the seller? And if they're motivated, they don't, I don't want to find, you know, desperate people becoming desperados who are sellers. I don't want distressed properties. Okay. So these are properties like we've talked about. These are nice properties, but if the seller wants to make some more, net some more can wait a little while for their equity, we can handle that. We can, we can show them the solution for that. and, Many times they say yes. It's amazing what happens when you ask people if they're willing to do something creative. And if you're willing to do something creative, Mr. or Mrs. Seller, um, let me give you a couple of options. Let me show you what we can do to help you. And we just let them tell us what's important to them and then try to come to an agreement that works for both of us. And then we move forward.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, I got to say, that is not the answer I expected. Uh, because in my, well, it's not the, it's not all of the answer I expected because in my experience, the folks that are falling all over themselves, (laughs) wanting to, wanting to sell on a lease option or sell subject to their loan or something like that are the ones that it's going to actually cost them money to sell their house if they sell it conventionally. And a, a typical example that I worked with recently, um, we had a lady in a she's in a bread and butter neighborhood. It's not the most expensive neighborhood in town, but it's a hundred and twenty thousand dollar house call it. Beautiful, not a thing wrong with it. Like I couldn't find one thing <laughs> the matter with this house. And the problem was that she just bought it. I mean she's she's owned it for two years maybe. She's had almost no pay down on the mortgage. She got married. Her husband already had a house, so they so she moved out. So basically, she she now owes one fifteen <laughs> you know, between her between her down payment and what little she's paid off in a couple of years. She owes one hundred fifteen thousand on a house that's worth one twenty two. Maybe if you push it one twenty five, and the problem is she's already she already sat down with a realtor and the realtor did her closing sheet, and by the time she's paid. The agent, the closing costs. The agent was quick to point out that um, in that price range a lot of buyers want you to pay for points. We've got transfer taxes in this county, we've got tax prorations in this county. She was actually this the seller who looks like she's got eight or nine thousand dollars in equity was actually going to have to bring four or five thousand dollars to the closing. And she doesn't have it. She yeah, just she run into that <laughs> she just she just yeah. she just paid for a house and then paid to move out of that house and and for a wedding, right? I mean, she hasn't she hasn't she just hasn't got the money. So the the thought of let's kick this can down the road a couple of years. You know, let me let me make your payments. I'm not going to be able to give you anything up front because your house can't afford it. But let me let me make your payments for a couple of years. I will agree to pay you. $122,000 for it, but not for five more years. And by then your loan balance will be down to this and the property value will be up to this. It's not that that matters to her cause I'm locking in that price and um, you will have no realtor commission. There won't, we won't have to worry about that. You know, the, yes, there will still be transfer tax and there will still be tax proration, but that's going to be minor. And that appealed to her, actually getting some money five years up the road appealed to her so much more than having to come to the closing with money right now that she was falling all over herself wanting to sign contracts before I even had them prepared.
2: Yeah, yeah. We we run into the same thing, too. And I, I, I think we mentioned that earlier. It You don't know what motivates a seller. And that really is a very interesting marketing thing that we do because sometimes we'll look for sellers. We'll market to sellers that have owned their property for less than, for example, three years. Mm -hmm. And these aren't people that are advertising for sale. These are just confirmed homeowners. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And so they'll get some of our marketing. And some of them didn't even know that they could sell and make a profit. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's
2: a great way to do it, too. Mm -hmm. We do that
1: quite often right and and for all those folks who are sitting in markets going well no in my market they just sell it they're not thinking about the 20 percent of people that are close to underwater on their house exactly all right i need to take one more quick break and then we will talk about the buyers for these properties if you have any questions call them in at 877-772-9658 or send me an email it's askvina at gmail.com Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Jim lot about pretty properties and his strategy of lease optioning them from sellers and lease optioning to buyers to create profits of five to twenty thousand dollars upfront and in some cases also monthly spreads. Jim is one of the fifteen confirmed speakers at the National Real Estate Summit here in Cincinnati, you need to learn more about that, and you need to get here, and you need to do that by going to wmkvfm.org. Now, um, so so Jim, I mean, I think we've like maybe over made the point that sellers sell this way because they're not in the same situation you're in. (laughs) And if you think you would never sell that way, it's because you've not been in that situation. These sellers are everywhere. Investors hang up the phone on them all the time. All the time. So sellers call and say, I've got this great $175,000 house and I have to get one seventy-four for it because I owe one seventy four. And the investor goes, oh, nope, I can only give you... A hundred thousand dollars cash <laughs> which is basically the same as hanging up the phone on them. So this is this is a strategy that you can you can use to fill in those blanks with these sellers who they really do need to sell. This isn't gonna work with people who are like, eh, I'm thinking about selling. Ah, just got, got your postcard. Thought I'd see what you could do. These are people who really need to sell, but they're in a situation where either they can't quite do it or it's more beneficial for them to wait a few years. Let's flip this around and talk about the buyers, because the um, the general view of a lease option buyer is they must be total deadbeats or they'd be able to get a loan. It doesn't sound to me like you're looking for deadbeats.
2: <laughs> well, no, not, not really. In fact, uh, it's interesting. My um, administrator for the properties just sent me an updated list. We have a little over 750 people on our buyers list right now you know, looking for properties in our area. So uh, they're, they're plentiful because even today, you know, over half the population, if not more, roughly 60% or so, cannot get financed. So these are people that aren't necessarily deadbeats, but I will tell you that they've had some kind of credit event in their history. They've had a credit um, uh issue. It could be a divorce. It could have been a medical issue. Um, It could have been a layoff. It could have been a number of things. They've been good people credit worthy wise, but something happened. And today, if they want to go apply for a mortgage someplace, it just simply would get turned down because they either don't have the credit score or something else is going on. So these aren't people that are deadbeats. And interestingly enough, many of these people have cash. That's the incredible thing. They have money to put down. They just aren't able to get financed. Mm -hmm. And so they work. They have a, a steady income. They just have a credit event. And that's really the kind of people that we're targeting.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, give me a, and I know your 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 properties are in a wide variety of price ranges, but give me give me a a profile of your typical buyer. Like, how much money do they make? What kind of job do they have? Are are you dealing with more white collar people or blue collar people, or is it a combination? What are what are these folks like?
2: Yeah, it's a combination. Um, I mean, everything from you know, for the eighty five or ninety thousand dollar property, um, these are going to be blue collar type of income producers. They're going to be some of them working at the local car plant or a manufacturing facility, maybe in the next county. Some of them drive an hour down to Detroit to work um, or Lansing or something. So they're, you know, they are um, pretty hardworking people. I'll tell you that right now. That's really a big factor that is common amongst all of them. They're, they're hardworking folks. Some of them are professionals. I've got I've got some professionals that you know they're making eight to ten thousand dollars per month, and they cannot get financed because their credit stinks so bad for whatever reason. So uh, these are typically people who work hard. On average, for my price range, these people are, are bringing home anywhere from three $3,000 or thirty-five hundred dollars a month, upwards of five six thousand dollars a month. That's typical. That's very, very typical. Many of them have at least five, some 10000 and in some cases $20,000 cash to put down. Um, some of them will use their 401ks for part or some of all of their down payment. That does happen on occasion. Um, we never will will put them in a position where they use a credit card for down payment kind of thing we don't like that because that just messes up their credit even there that much more so we try to help them build their credit Well we have a credit repair process so when they get plugged in they are going to also have a credit repair program sometimes they will just work with one of our local independent mortgage brokers and they'll work with them to help them get financed and tell them what they need to do so that's pretty much the profile and. And again, they they come in all shapes and sizes as far as the kind of work. But we've got professionals. Um, we've had doctors, attorney. Doctors are the worst as far as credit. Um, some attorneys and IT professionals, you know, as well. So it, it it really runs the gamut. But one thing I can tell you: these are hardworking folks.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think the the question that um, everybody always asks about this before they start actually dealing with these folks is if their credit's bad now, what's going to change about their lives in the next 18 months that they're going to be able to buy a house?
2: Well, primarily that's what we look at. Um, no tenant buyer gets into any of our properties until they are re- interviewed by one of our mortgage brokers to make sure that they are financeable in a reasonable period of time. So that's a, that's a real big factor and that 's the last hurdle that any tenant buyer has to has to jump through we don 't want to set up anybody to fail, so primarily what we 're doing is we are trying to find people that are near remember the, the term that I keep using is near qualified tenant buyer near qualified. They just need a little help over to get the ball over the uh, the goal line to to make this happen, and that 's what we do. We help them do that.
1: Excellent. Well, Jim, I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of outline this whole, this whole big picture for all of our listeners who just wondered what the pretty house business is all about. Now, you know, they need to go and dig into the exact strategies for what's the paperwork for acquiring? What's the paperwork for selling? How do I market? How do I do these things? But I think the big, the big hurdle for a lot of people is just get over the idea in their brain that you can't pay full price for houses, that there aren't people out there who will, sell to you on terms and that there aren't folks who want to buy on terms. And I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your thoughts about why that is with us today. And we look forward to seeing you here in Cincinnati on November the 9th, 11th, and 12th for the National Real Estate Summit. Listeners can grab one of the last two discounted tickets at WMKVFM.org. We're going to be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.